This message was presented at the GYC to the end in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Father in heaven, you know that I am not worthy to be teaching a seminar. I am not worthy to be a pastor, a minister. I'm not worthy to be a Christian, but I find all my worthiness in Jesus. And he is worthy and he has done it for me and for all of us. So I welcome that. I accept that. I embrace that. And because of that, Lord, I can stand here boldly in your name and your power speaking on your behalf. And if I say things I should not say or say them in the wrong way, I pray that you will cover that, change that, change it between my voice and and the ears of the hearers. Because, Lord, what we all want more than anything else is to know you, to love you, to serve you, to share you, and to see this gospel go to all the world in this generation and you come again. So help this to be a little part in that process. In Jesus' name, amen. How to find receptive people for soul winning. Here we go. Read this with me, please. And it's it's some excerpts, so read it with me. The harvest truly is great. The laborers are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go and remain in the same house. That comes from Luke. Now, this is when Jesus sent out the 70. In Luke 9, he sent out the 12, two by two. In Luke 10, he sends out the 70, two by two. He gives some fairly specific instruction that when we really study it and unpack it, we find all kinds of principles in soul winning that we didn't get anywhere else. But I'm only going to be able to share a few of those with you. But I want to unpack a few of these things. In fact, the next three seminars, this one and the two that I'll do this afternoon, we'll look at this passage and we'll look at more and more pieces and parts and how it branches out. But we must always operate on the assumption that the harvest is great. If we ever catch ourselves saying, well, nobody's interested around here, we are speaking the devil's thoughts instead of the Lord's words. Okay, Mark Finley, I think most people know Mark Finley, says wherever he's gone in the world, he believes at least 5% of the people are ready to embrace the Adventist message right now. That means if you live in a community of 10,000, and if he knows what he's talking about, and I think he does, (laughs) that there are 500 people. 500 people in that community of 10,000. Do you realize that? In a city of a million. What is that? You mathematicians. That's 50,000 ready to embrace the Adventist message. So why aren't they? 500,000. Thank you. No, no, that's that's 50%. Okay. (laughs) All right. You really get me excited then. But anyway, (laughs) 50,000. Here's Houston, more than 6 million. So you have 300,000 in this city if that principle follows. And I believe it does because it's based on that first phrase. The harvest is great. But you know what happens? You come to GYC, you get all excited, you go get fired up, 
You come to a seminar like this and you say, yeah, 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 let's go get the world. Let's go tell the world. And you go out and you give and you're in the airport ready to fly home. And you, 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 you get those glow tracks and you think, who do I give it to? Who do I give it to? And you walk up to somebody and you say, uh, uh, you don't want any literature, do you? No? Didn't think so. Okay. You know, we set ourselves up for failure because we're not operating and living by the principles of the scripture. But what I found in airports, the best thing to do is just to say, here, 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 here. And you know what they say usually? They say, thank you. Somebody says, what does security say? I said, they say, thank you too. (laughs) You don't want to leave them out. There are people who need the Lord. They need to know Jesus loves them and he's coming soon too, right? So we don't... And if they say, you can't do that around here, you say, okay, let's say I got to go over to that part. One time I was with my son down here in San Antonio at the Alamo years ago before glow tracks. Some of us old timers remember an hour with your Bible, little tracks. Okay. And so I was with my five-year-old son at the time, Dustin. He's good friends with Philip right back there. (laughs) And, uh, and, And Dustin's five years old. And he's, he's got this missionary heart. He still does, praise the Lord. And, and he's just saying, Dad, give me some more. And he's just going up to all the tourists. And he's just kind of giving them like this. And he comes up, and he comes up to a guy standing in a U.S. Um, Park Service uniform. And the guy looks down at him, and he doesn't take the bull tracks. And Dustin looks up at him, and he sees the guy in the hat and the green. And... and he says to me, he says, are you passing these things out? I said, no, he is. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> he could get more angry at me than him, but no, I wasn't going to let her go. <laughs> but anyway, and, he, and I said, but I'm giving them to him. <laughs> and he says, well, it's not legal to do on government property. And Dustin looks up at me as if to say, are we going to get arrested and go to jail for Jesus today? <laughs> He doesn't say that, but that look on his face. And I said, he's telling us we need to go across the street to pass them out. And, and Dustin smiles again. And the park ranger smiles and goes like that. <laughs> because there are a lot of undercover Christians. Don't be one of them. Be out in the open until they stop you. Okay. The harvest is great. But how do we find that 5%? Right? That's, that's, a, that's a key. How do we find, that, find those that are in that 5%? And what do we do um, once we find them? Now, there are some good things that churches do, and I'm for all of it, okay? I, I never get, I don't want to ever get in the place where I say, you know, that's the right way and that's not, or this is better and that's not. No, we, while we need to be good stewards of the resources, Jesus said, if they're spreading my name, and they don't do it like you, and they're not part of you, leave them alone and bless them. Go, go do it. Go do it. So, you know, I've come to other people who are giving out tracts too from other denominations. I say, God bless you and power to you. Do you have these here? You got to check these out too. Let me see some of yours. And if I find something that's good to pass out from them, I'll pass it out. If they find something good from me, I hope they'll pass it out too. I was asked to preach in a Methodist church on a Sunday here this few months ago. Uh, through an unusual set of circumstances. And I preached about let your light shine. Share Jesus everywhere. 
And at the end, I said, I have these glow tracks and you can go pass them out everywhere. They took 200 of them. I mean, why do we have little silos? Let's just share them. Share them. So how do we find receptive people? We're right here. Here we are. The shortage is not money. Money is never the shortage in God's work. The shortage is not resources. That's never the shortage. The shortage is not church buildings and school buildings. All of those are nice little tools. The shortage is you and me, workers in the harvest. I heard about a factory owner who was giving a group a tour through his factory. And they came to a place. They looked out over the workroom and they saw hundreds of people. And somebody said, how many workers do you have? And the factory president said, about half. Now, some of you haven't gotten that yet. and You'll get it tonight while you're lying in bed. (laughs) How many do you have? And they're expecting a number. He says, about half. The other half are employees, but not really workers. Okay? But in our churches, we'd be thrilled if we even had half of the people doing something for Jesus on a regular basis. So the shortage is always the workers, and that's why... The next seminar is on how to rapidly mobilize people out in ministry and mission. Because that's where the shortage is. And when we do that, it's amazing how the financial resources and other resources and facilities come. When we mobilize the workers, when we, when we know what is to go on the front line. So the way that we begin to re- truly reach the harvest is in that third line. Pray. Greek word means Beg. Please, Lord, send workers into the harvest. Your GYC leaders have been doing that up to this conference and continue to do it. That's why they put their energies into this. We beg you, Lord, to send workers into the harvest. And my prayer is that every single one of you in this seminar and each seminar that I teach will have something you can use within 48 hours of the seminar that you will use. And then you'll turn around and invite a friend to go with you and share with them what you've learned and let the multiplying effect happen. So we begin by begging the Lord of the harvest. Now that's an encouraging word. Who's in charge of the harvest? God or us? He's the Lord of the harvest. And he tells us, beg me, because I'm in charge of the harvest, to send out, and of course the word there in Greek is throw out, cast out, like casting out demons, casting out a net, cast out workers, throw them out of their comfort zone. That's when we start really serving God is when we're outside our comfort zone. When it's all about our comfort, we won't go out. But when we go out, it's all about God's miracles. So to throw workers out into his harvest, and then he says, answer your own prayers by going, and then remain in the same house. So we're going to unpack this a little bit more as we go along. Let's get some principles from the book of Acts. And then you're going to help me with finding how to apply this right away, okay? Acts 8, you know the story of Philip and the Ethiopian, do you? If you don't, you can open your Bible, you can go through it. It's worth a good, solid study. Okay, what what, uh, theological training had Philip had? How many GYCs had he been to? Okay, what we do know is that he was a godly man, full of faith and wisdom and good reputation, and he was one of the deacons. So we do know he's pursuing God. 
And in the morning, it says that the angel of the Lord spoke to him. Now, when we start every day, we can ask God, send me to somebody today. We can ask that. And, God, and then ask, Lord, help me to be aware when you send me. Because sometimes he sends people and we miss them. But when he sends us, we, we respond. So Philip gets up, not knowing exactly why, but he heads out into the desert. He'd just come from a huge evangelistic campaign in, um, in Samaria, and God called him away from that so he wouldn't get a big head, and sends him out into the desert. Sometimes God will call you away from what looks great to something that looks small, but it's going to affect a whole nation. And so God, looking down, saw a willing worker, and he saw a searching person. And he said, I'm going to put those two together. That's what God wants to do with you. You will either be the missionary, or if you're not a missionary, you are the mission field. And God's going to try to bring those two together if they're willing. And so, Philip heads down there, and here is this Ethiopian official. Very trusted position. Handles all the wealth of the empire of Ethiopia. Wow. And where is he coming from? Jerusalem. Why did he go to Jerusalem? He had somehow gotten word that there was the Messiah or that that was the right form of service or that was, he was, he is not at A or B or C. He was at X or Y ready to go to Z to unite with God's people. And so he'd gone to Jerusalem and I'm sure he is disappointed because all of the traders had come back into the temple and were buying and selling and exchanging. It had gone back to things now that Jesus was gone. And he hears that Jesus had been killed. And then he's disappointed and he's heading back home. But he's reading the scriptures. He's at Isaiah 58, 53. And all of a sudden, here's some guy jogging beside his chariot. Hey! It was about 8.30 in the morning, I think. Because in Acts 8.30, it says... Do you understand what you're reading? Okay. He's jogging right along there. And he says, how can I understand unless somebody explains? And so Philip climbs up. He stops. And Philip climbs up in the chariot. And Philip begins right there and then takes him. And he says, you know, there are 28 fundamental beliefs. And so 28 weeks from now, you ought to be able to be baptized. No. But on the other hand, don't miss this. There are some people who think that there was some slipshod baptismal preparation in the New Testament. That's wrong. There was extremely thorough baptism preparation, but it was extremely short. There's a difference between long and thorough. Okay? We need thorough. We don't have to have long. If you were having a house built... You live in Michigan, let's say. You're having a house built. Would you prefer to have a contractor who could build it in four months or in eight years? Would it be more slipshod if it were built in four months than eight years? Well, it depends on how it's built, right. But if it's built in eight years, you're having all of the weathering of the elements that's destroying the inside, and you're going to never get it built. It's going to come down. 
And if we take forever to prepare people who are ready to move forward with Jesus and unite with this movement, if we take too long, the devil will give them all those weather and elements to destroy their faith before they ever take those steps that will empower them to take more steps. So when we look at these examples, we're going to see some, something that's short but thorough. One time I did a research project on, Acts, on, on Isaiah. And I said, how many of the 28 fundamental beliefs can you find in the book of Isaiah, chapters 1 to 52? In other words, how much did the Ethiopian know by the time Philip caught him? Guess how many of the 28 I found there? All of them. Some of them two and three times. They're all there. Even come, Babylon has fallen. Come out of her, my people. That's there. It's repeated again in Revelation. But it's all there. He was into it, but he couldn't get the pieces quite straight. And that's why God sent Philip. And that's what God wants to do for receptive people, is to have them right. It comes clear. There it is. There it is. So, the first principle of finding receptive people is keep your eyes open for people who have taken a first step toward God's word and God's people. Okay? That's what the Ethiopian had done. He had taken a first step toward God's word and God's people. Which means, let's just think out loud for a minute. You help me out. Who might be people, I mean, who might be some types of people that you can see are already showing an interest in spiritual things? Somebody help me out. So raise your hand so I can get, what? Okay, other denominations. You might know if they're taking a first step. They've at least gone, I'm assuming you're talking, they're coming out, out of maybe Buddhism or some other world religion, and they're, they're there, they're looking for Jesus, they're wanting to follow Jesus. So that can be a clue, yes. Somebody else? Yes. People are reading the Bible. Yes, you can ask people, do you have a Bible? Are you, do you ever read it? Those of us who went out yesterday, door to door, one of the questions, do you read the Bible? How often do you read the Bible, etc.? In fact, um, is Timmy, are Timmy, are you still here? He was in the last seminar, okay. He was my partner going door to door yesterday. And one place that we went, um, we asked this lady, do you, do you have a Bible? Do you read the Bible? I forget the exact wording. And then it says, how often? It says, daily seldom or never. And you know, a lot of people are bothered by that. They want something that says more frequently than seldom, but it's not daily. You know what I'm saying? I'm a, I'm a good person, but not quite good, but not, you know, so they're trying to find somewhere in between. And I, at first I thought the survey was not put together well. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought that's a good thing because it causes a person to realize why am I not studying it daily? Okay. And so this one lady, well, I, it's not, Daily, and it's not really selling, but it is. It, it, and she's just talking out loud while we're standing there. And she says, it, it's probably seldom. <laughs> Do you understand it as well as you? No, no. Would you like to have it? Yes, I'd like Bible. So we gave them to her, and there we had prayer with her. And, and so, but people are reading the Bible, okay? Uh, yes. Somebody, Somebody coming to a program at your church. Yes. If they, your church... You're comfortable at, I hope. Now, if you're not comfortable at, that's another issue, and we can talk about that. But if, if you're comfortable there, most people who come to your church who aren't a part of your church 
are very uncomfortable when they first set foot there. They are leaving their comfort zone and coming into your comfort zone. So, don't miss this point. The very most receptive people I've ever found are people who visit an Adventist church on the Sabbath morning that aren't Adventist or aren't members. That is far and away because they've gone way out of their way to get there. Sometimes they've driven by 10 weeks before they got the courage to set foot in that church. So when they come in, it's important what happens. Okay? There need to be friendly people, not just, okay, here, greeting. You need to sign the guest, but, well, we're not really ready. No, we have everybody who sets foot in this church signs this guest. No, no. You've got to give them enough space, and we're so glad that you're here. And if the only person that smiles at them is the official greeter, then it's not a friendly church. Okay? The difference between a friendly and an unfriendly church is three friendly people. You can visit the coldest, iciest church in the world. And if three people are friendly to you, you think the whole church is friendly. So if you don't like your church, you get a couple of friends and you turn the whole thing. You flip the whole thing. Okay? And you just keep your eyes out. I don't know them. Do you know them? I don't know. I don't know if they're members. I don't. Well, it's embarrassing to go up to them. Maybe they've been members here longer than we have. What, 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 will you just go up and say, hi, I'm, I'm Dan. How long have you been coming here to this church? See that question? How long have you been coming to this church? Well, I've been coming for 40 years. And the greeter says, I don't know who they are, <laughs> but that's all right. Or you just say, how long have you been coming to this church? Well, only this. Well, I I just started coming myself. Well, nice to meet you. I don't know that I've met you. One time I was um, sent as a as a guest speaker to a church that didn't know me and didn't know who I was. And I was a young youth director and I walked in and it was just a cold church. It was just cold. Nobody. Everybody's in their own little world. And here are some people standing in the lobby and nobody would say anything to me or anybody. And I thought, well, Maybe that's why they sent me, to start warming up the place. So I walked over to these people. I said, hi there, how are you? And they said, fine. I said, I'm Dan, what's your name? They gave me family names. And I said, nice to meet you. Um, I said, how long have you been coming to this church? They said, this is our first time here. It's so friendly. (laughs) So first step, anybody, Sabbath morning. When I pastored at Richardson, we, we didn't, what we did is we had a contact card. We didn't have a guest book because we know that a lot of times nothing's done with that guest book info. So we had a contact card, but we wanted to be very specific. We didn't have long things. Check one of the 387 options here. People get overload. You know, TMI is not only total member involvement. And so sometimes too much information. And so what we do is we just made it simple. You know, a name. Phone, email, maybe address if they wanted. And then we could have, I'd like to learn more about the Bible. I'd like to join a group. I'd like to prepare for baptism. Then on the back, we'd like to transfer. And every time during the announcements, hello everybody, we're so glad you're here. Whether you're visiting with us or you've been here 50 years, we're glad you've come to study God's word, to meet with godly people and to worship God. And we have these guest cards in the 
seat back in front of you. If you'll take one of those out and just fill it in, it'll help us know what your prayer requests are and how we can help you grow spiritually. And, of course, the, the visitors are kind of taking it out, looking at it. And they don't realize that the members aren't, but members learn to help them with it. When we got that card, that was gold. That's a gold mine. That's a gold mine. You know what you do with that once you get a card like that with information from a visitor on a Sabbath morning? What you do is you go and you put it in a desk drawer in the office so that the pastor who's coming in five months can find it and go visit those people. No, it's not dependent on the pastor. It's on you, on you. So what you do, we had a goal of within 40, 48 hours, that person would either get a phone call, a text message, a doorstep visit with a gift, or a combination of those things. And we didn't want to be in your face, but we just do it. Most people won't answer their phone if they don't recognize the number now. So just be ready to give a message. Hi, this is so-and-so from the Richardson Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are so thankful you are with us this Sabbath. I have your card right here in front. And we are going to be praying for your prayer request with our pastoral staff, as you've indicated right here. I also see that you're interested in learning more about the Bible. And I'd like to talk with you and get you connected to one of our groups. We have several different groups that I think you might really enjoy. If you'll text me or give me a call, then I'll get you in touch with them. And you're just saying this to a voicemail. And it's amazing how many people told us we've never had anything like that before. Okay, so you can do it. Quick question. Okay, you know, there are churches that give gift baskets. We had too many visitors. We couldn't afford it. Okay, so we just gave them love. Okay, that's what we did. Now, if we gave them a gift at the door, I think that's what you're referring to. If we did a doorstep visit, we usually give them some spiritual growth resources, just some simple missionary book on health and wellness or something like that, and we'd offer to have prayer. And they'd say, you want to come in? No, 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 no. We just want to stop by and say, thanks for coming. Can we have prayer with you before we go? Because people are afraid their house is not, oh, I apologize. No, no, no. We're just saying thank you. Thank you for coming. Okay? So anybody that takes a first step is a prime candidate, and especially on Sabbath morning to Sabbath school or worship service. That's the highest of the highest. But any other church event and other people reading the Bible, all of that, that's great, great. Okay, now I better watch my time. The second, um, second principle or ingredient in this, or case study, I should say, is Acts 9. So here you have a guy who is on fire for the devil who thinks he's on fire for the Lord. Okay, his name is Saul, and he's rounding up Christians to persecute them. You know the story. And he goes to Damascus. He's blinded with a light. He finally realizes, I have been persecuting God in the person of his followers. And he starts to starve himself. He doesn't just fast. He goes without water. He's wanting to die because he is just messed up. He realizes, everything I thought is wrong. So what is truth? That's where some people will be at. Okay? He went through tremendous pain and change. Because now he's realizing, my life is messed up. And I need God, but I don't know how to find him because I've been doing wrong things. And I don't know what to do. And now this is going to change everything and I don't know what to do about it. 
Another way of thinking of it is trouble and transition or pain or change. People who are going through pain and change or trouble and transition are often far more open and receptive to spiritual things than people who aren't. So let's just hear from several of you. Who, what might be a type of person who would be going through dramatic change or pain or both? Losing a job? Death? Somebody, yeah. If you die, it's really a big change. But if somebody near you dies, yes, that's big. Divorce, somebody said. Illness, yes. Addiction, yes, big one. What's that? Students, boy, they're going through change, and yes, and sometimes pain. And what's that? Loss of a job, yes, job loss. This, these are destabilizing things, and so. People who are, now that's, we focus mainly on pain, but on change. <clears throat> Giving birth to the first child. Boy, your life is about to change. Okay? Or getting your driver's license for the first time. You're going to say what? Retirement. There's a big change. Yes. So these major life transitions. Yes, brother. Yes, moving to a new country, moving to a new state, moving to a new part of town. So new residents to the community, okay? Change of job, yes. And marriage, wow, that, that'll change things. And if it doesn't change you, you're not going to last long, okay? That's right. Just getting out of prison, yes. Or some, having a family member that just went to prison. Yes, these are, these are major changes. So I think you get the picture, and we could make a long list, but I want you to get this principle. As you're getting to know people, and you hear of difficult things they're going through, people who are in pain are often a pain. And what is our natural reaction if somebody's a pain to be around? To avoid them and move away from them. But what does this principle tell us? They might be more ripe for the gospel than they ever were before. There are people who are ready to embrace Jesus, his word, and his final movement today that were completely closed two weeks ago. How do I know that? That was the case with Saul, who became Paul. Two weeks before, completely closed. Baptized by Ananias. Isn't that amazing? Radical, thorough preparation in a condensed period of time. See that? And so when people are going through major, major upheaval, this also tells us that when we're creating groups and ministries in a church, we need to have some that will particularly provide for the needs of people going through pain or change. You know, that divorce support group or that newlyweds group that we offer or that new baby uh, group that's there or that between jobs group that means or that cancer support group or whatever it is so rather than just kind of well we ought to do this and everybody ought to show up and why don't they show up a lot of times the inactive adventist which we call if they're not attending which always puzzled me you can be inactive sitting in a pew that's very inactive in fact sometimes but it, when those who aren't attending many times they've gone through pain or change and never connected with anybody in the church and then they drift away. So we need to have a lot of multiple landing places in the church. 
That's why one of my seminars is going to be on how to start groups, multiplying for ministry and all that. How do you start them quickly and simply? So pain and change. Oftentimes people are more open. I've baptized many people. I know I had one. Well, I'll get to those stories. I better, I better move on. Okay, Acts 10, another example. Peter and Cornelius. Here you find a foreigner showing unusual hospitality to somebody who lived in the area. That's one thing I find. I lived, our family lived for a number of years, three miles from Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport. And within 10 houses of us, we had people from the Philippines, from Hungary, from Vietnam, from Jordan, from Sudan, from Zimbabwe, from Zambia, China, Myanmar, Korea, um, Palestine. Anyway, you get the picture. You get the picture. And I found that, for example, uh, these people across the street from Sudan, I didn't even mention Sudan, these people across the street from Sudan were just some of the most gracious, hospitable hospitable people I'd ever met, invited us into their home, and we get, became very good friends with them. And okay. So they can show unusual hospitality from, as foreigners, and it often means there's a heart open to learning a lot more about the Lord. Okay? So, uh, fourth one, Acts 16. Paul is going on one of his missionary journeys, and he and his team get to Philippi, can't find a synagogue there. So they hear that there are people that gather for prayer and worship and study out of town by the river. And so they go out there, and they find them, Lydia and her, her believers, and they knew it all, except they didn't know it all. And when they learned it all, they said, this is wonderful. And then they're baptized. And they helped form the core group of the church at Philippi, along with a formerly demon-possessed girl. That's pain and change. And a former jailer who went through, who gave radical hospitality to them after he realized they were godly people in that jail. That's the, who the book of Philippians was originally read to. That group of people right there. And so these are the types of people and God makes us more sensitive and we begin seeing, wow, they're going through a tough time. I better pray for them and get close to them. Wow, they're going through major transition. Hey, we have new neighbors. I need to go meet them. They came to church. We need to reach out to them. Do you see this? Do you see this picture? So we begin to realize that there are these case studies in the book of Acts that show us where to go and who to really move close to. Now let's move on. So one way to find people in these situations is through little pieces of paper called glow tracks. Pass these out like the leaves of autumn. And for every 500 glow you pass out, God will give you at least one miracle story. Okay? I said for every 500. I didn't say for every five. Okay, one, two, three, four, five. Nothing happened. I'm going to stop doing this. No, you give them out everywhere until you see something. So I'm just going to give you a couple of examples right here. I can't, don't have time for all of them. But because you are sitting on the front row as a good student, pick one picture and I'll give you a glow story. Uh, middle. Okay, bottom middle. This guy with that. Oh, right there. Whoop, did I? There, right here. This one. Okay. You can't, you can not really see him because the lighting is not that good and he has that skull all rest. So, 
Here's the situation. I'm in Keene, Texas. Anybody heard of Keene, Texas? Okay. Yay. Keene, Texas. And I go to visit some of the professors from the Southwestern Adventist University that are my friends. And we're going to talk about mission work and all the rest. I'm knocking on their door and I look across the street and sitting on the front porch is a lady who's smoking. And I thought, she's not an Adventist because if you're an Adventist in Keene and you smoke, you smoke in your backyard. (laughs) Let's get real. We're here to help people get back on track, not to pretend that everything's perfect, okay? We help people get on track, okay? But I think... She's, and I don't think she's a non-Adventist. I think she's a pre-Adventist. You know what the difference is? Your thinking and your attitude. Okay? I don't call people non-Adventist anymore. Pre-Adventist. So I'm thinking, she's a pre-Adventist. And maybe I'll go by and give her a glow track when I'm done. And I go in. We have a wonderful visit. We have prayer and all the rest. And right at the end of the prayers, I'm praying with these professors. One of, the, one of the, their husband-wife team... The, the lady says, and Lord, help us not only to be good missionaries around the world, but right here in our own neighborhood. And I think, thank you, Lord, for reminding me. So I go out, I, I say goodbye, and I go out, and nobody's on the front porch. So I'm done. I'm out of here. No, that's not right. If God gives you an idea, do it. Even if you think you'll look stupid, it might be for his honor and glory. Okay? So I go over and I knock on the door. And she doesn't open the door. That guy opens the door. And I said, well, hi, uh, I'm Dan Cerns. And, and I just wanted, I was just impressed to come here and give you these things to brighten your day. And there was a lady who was out here. And he said, Pastor Dan, what are you doing here? And I recognized the voice from 23 years ago. I said, Demetrius, is that you? And he says, yeah. I said, I haven't seen you since when I left Kansas City where I baptized you 25 years ago. Do you live here now? No, I'm going through some hard times. And I said, do you realize how much Jesus loves you to make sure I found you? He said, come on in. Poured out his heart. All the woes, all the pain. I said, Jesus wants you back. Baptized you over 20 years ago, 500 miles from here, and I'm knocking on your door and I don't live in this town. What are the chances of that? What if I just thought, well, she's not out there, I'm not going to give a glow track. I wish I could say immediately he's reconnected with his church family. and We're not there yet. But it's not over because God loves him. And God's going to keep surrounding him with influences, okay? So when you pass out glow, you don't know what God's going to do to open up things. Okay, because you're sitting on the front row and such a good student, you pick one more picture. The top left, right there. Okay, so one of our sons, Dustin, who now pastors in Port Orchard, Washington, he and his wife served as volunteer missionaries in Cambodia in CM Reap. Some of you may have been over there and know about that wonderful work that the Maddox family do. And so my oldest son, Jacob, and I are going to go to Cambodia for a, a, a two weeks of a mission trip. A week of prayer at the orphanage and school, a week of training church planters in Phnom Penh. So we are, my son Jacob and I are in the Los Angeles International Airport. Anybody ever been there? Los Angeles? It's a mess. 
There are hundreds of people. There are thousands of people. But it's a mission field right there. And we're going to Cambodia to be missionaries. So we don't have to do anything in Los Angeles because we're going over. No, wherever you are, you're a missionary. You're on duty. And so we had brought extra packs of glow. And so there we are going here, here. I always like to give two titles here, here, here. Hundreds of people going by. Eight out of ten, take them. Here, here, here. Somebody says, I don't want those. Okay, God bless you. They weren't really for you. They're for a friend of you that needed them. Okay, here, here, here. <laughs> well, what is it? What is it? Okay. <laughs> so you can have fun with it. So this guy comes along, top left picture, takes the glow, comes back about two minutes later, and he says, say, um, I see you're charging your phone. Yeah. He says, my phone's dead and I've lost the group I'm traveling to Netherlands with and I don't know how to find them and I don't know what the gate is. Is there any chance I could borrow, use your phone charger here? And I said, sure. Captive audience. (laughs) (laughs) So I said, so where are you from? He says, I'm from Stanford, California. Oh, what kind of work do you do? Well, I work in technology and all that. Wow, that's awesome, awesome. And um, did you grow up there? Instead? Oh, no, no, no. I, I grew up over in, in Kenya. I said, wow, I'm from Dallas area, and I have some very good friends in Dallas from Kenya. What I didn't say is they're members of my church. Our church had people from 51 countries. But one of the Kenyans had just become an elder. His name was Gilbert Yendoto. And I'd gotten to, when I'd go out visiting, making visits, I'd gotten to know Gilbert. And I knew that he was, a, he teaches physics at University of North Texas. And he's from Kenya. And so I just am talking in LAX. And I said, I, I've got lots of friends from Kenya down in Dallas area. One of my best friends is a guy named Gilbert Yendoto. And this guy looks at me and says, Gilbert Yondoto? That's an unusual name in Kenya. I think I might know him. Did he ever take a special training in Stanford um, one summer? Well, I did not know that three months ago, but because he's a new elder and I found out he had taken I said, that's him. Wow, we're from the same island off the coast of Kenya. He says, I've ridden in his father's boat with him. I said, he's a good friend of mine. And I said, he's an elder in my church. He says, oh, that wouldn't be him. (laughs) I'm thinking, what does that mean? Do we not know something that we should know about? And then he says, he's too young. He's only in his 40s. And then I realized what he's saying. He's saying you have to be elderly to be an elder. And some churches still think that. Okay. And so he's in his mid 40s. I said, that's him. And he says, wow. And I said, now. He's a Seventh-day Adventist, an elder in the church. What is your religious background? Some of you have been to the other seminar. You know, you can jump right there by now. We're here. And I said, what's your religion? Well, so almost everybody on the island, he said, is Seventh-day Adventist. I said, so what about, yeah, I'm, seven, I'm Seventh-day. Oh, you are. Now, do you have a home church? Well, we used to go. And then I said, Jesus wants you back. Do you realize how much he loves you to set up this appointment right here in this airport? He loves you. Do you realize that? Wow, wow. I said, hold on just a minute. I called my elder, Gilbert Yondoto. I said, he sees who's calling. Hey, pastor, how are you? I said, I'm doing fine. I'm here in L.A. airport on my way to Cambodia. 
Yes, we've been praying for your trip in our family worship. I said, thank you. Keep praying. But I'm here with Charles Wasonga. And he, there's this long pause. Pastor, how do you know Charles Wasonga? I said, God sent him here. And he, and he needs you to pray for him. And Charles said, and I handed him the phone. And, and then I got my son's phone and took a picture of Charles Wasonga talking to my elder from the island there and my elder leading him back to the Lord and praying for him. Would that have happened if I hadn't handed out glow tracks until I got to Cambodia? Now, if you give out 500, God's going to give you at least one story like that. And I don't have time to tell you the rest of the stories, but that's one of the best ways to find receptive people. Hand out glow. Get over yourself and do it. And if you need to start by doing chicken witnessing, start with chicken witnessing. That's where you sneak into a public restroom, you leave two on the counter and you run out. <laughs> or like some of our, our members did when they were trying to get started. They had some glow, but they could, kept finding reasons not to give them out. And they're in Cavender Boot City here in Texas. And they saw those long lines of boots and they thought, boy, it'd be nice to own those. But it's more important to know what God says. And they started dropping one in each or the, or the church member went into the grocery store and said, this is awful, look at that. They put beer and wine on the end of the aisle, so that's the first thing everybody sees, including the kids. It's just awful. People need what I have. And they start putting one with each wine bottle around there. And, you know, we can bring light into a dark world. Okay, so now, where's our time? Okay, another thing that we can do is when we find a receptive person, what do we do? What do we say? Well, if you've been to the other three sem- one of the other three seminars, you already have some clues on how to talk quickly and how to lead them on. But remember in Luke 10, it said go in verse 3. And in verse 7, it says remain. And in the context, it says remain with a person of peace. Okay, when you go out two by two, you will find some who are far more receptive. Stay with them and help them in the journey. So we developed a simple plan called the baptism coach plan. And it works like this. If anybody shows an interest in seriously following God, we can offer to be their baptism coach to help them get ready to be baptized like Jesus was. They don't know what that means yet, but they'll find out. And so... We have a simple eight-week plan, and I'll share more about it in another seminar. But with this, I'll just show how it works through a story or two, and then our time is just about up. But now I'm going to ask this young man who helped pass out a lot of material, pick one of those pictures, and let me tell a baptism coach story to show how it works. Um, Bottom to second right. Bottom to second. This guy right here? Yeah, that's Harold. Yay, Harold. Oh, this is a great one. Okay, and this is... This goes with this picture. Jacob, this is our oldest son, okay? He grew up as a preacher's kid, and whenever dad would say, you want to go out visiting with me? No, dad, that's not my stuff. No, no, it's not my stuff. And, but anyway, what began happening was some friends said, let's go out and follow up some of these Bible study interest cards. That's a great way to find receptive people, by the way, too. Um, but Bible study interest cards. So he started going out with the team. They said, they said, we have enough people, but we don't, we want to send them out two by two. So all we need is to have a smiler to go with each person who's ready to go out. He said, well, I can go out and smile. If you had a lead person, then we need a smiler who will smile and pray silently. 
So he started as a smiler, and after two weeks, he graduated to one of the lead people, and then he found recruited a smiler. You see how you can multiply it that way? So Jacob gets to the door. Jacob here gets to the door of Harold. And he, he says, hey, we see that you have the, you're interested in Bible study. Well, I thought it'd come in the mail. Well, you'll get a bonus. We're here in person. But we're here just to drop off the lessons and to let you know we're praying for you in this journey. We have an eight-week plan, and you'll get, we'll bring two lessons a week, each week. You do them when you get a chance, but when you start, say, God, show me your truth and help me to follow it. And then you just look in here and you read the question. You read the Bible verses right here. You can look them up in your Bible if you want, the comments, but do the quiz at the end. And anytime you've done any of the quizzes, when we come to deliver the next two lessons, we'll answer the quiz questions with you. Notice they're helping the people study the Bible on their own. They're teaching them to fish rather than just feeding a fish. Okay? So every, two we- every week you're dropping off two lessons, whether they've done them or not. And so Jacob would come by. Harold would say, oh, I haven't done them yet. I, I feel bad. No, no, no. We're praying for you. We know you want to, and we know the devil's trying to distract you. Lord, help Harold. Help him to understand your truth and follow it. And God bless you, Harold. You see, by being there every week for eight weeks at the doorstep and being positive and encouraging, you're building a relationship. And most people's lives, if they're not under God's authority, are out of control. Chaos. You're the only consistent positive thing in their life. And so pretty soon you're at the door and then they want you to come in and review the quizzes and then they want have some more questions and then they sit down and then you're friends and you're praying together. And so in that eight weeks, at the end of the eight weeks, they're either hot, like Harold was, or warm, and you put them in a group that will continue study, or they're cold, and you just say, well, every Saturday morning at this time and place, we have more Bible study groups. We come to the end. God bless you. Give me a call if I can ever help you. And you move to the next people. You see? So Jacob did that. And then Jacob moves to California. Harold lives in the Richardson or Dallas area. Jacob moves to California. And he just finished the eight weeks. But Harold hadn't made a decision yet. But Harold was now connecting with godly people. Jacob comes back to Texas for Thanksgiving break. And he walks into church a little late. Yeah, he's that way. No, he's not usually that way. But he walks in a little late. And who's being baptized? Harold, right at the front. Right there. Harold's now helping us plant a church in White Rock Lake, part of Dallas. Okay? All right, let's take one more. i got to look at the time. Uh, and I'm going to ask, let's see. We're going to ask someone. How about the you, young man? Top left. This couple right here. Okay, here we go. All right, this picture goes with this picture, okay? This guy, um, okay, Wednesday night, I think every church needs to have a, a prayer meeting. But I think every church really ought to have about 20 prayer meetings all over the city, okay? And I think what you do at the church, it ought to be, if possible, more than just one group. You ought to have multiple groups because that's more landing places for people, Okay, so as the church is beginning to grow, add another group or two and you'll have more landing places. So is Wednesday night. We had about seven groups going on throughout the church facility. And this guy walks in and I wasn't leading any of the groups. I was there with my wife for anybody that wanted to stop by for some marriage coaching. We just put that out as one of our groups. Marriage coaching. Uh, Come in and we'll set up a time. This guy walks in and he pours out his heart. He says, my life is a mess. My marriage is coming apart. 
And he begins telling us about himself. He says, my dad was a Seventh-day Adventist pastor. I didn't follow that. I got into drugs, wound up serving time in prison, wound up marrying a Buddhist girl, uh, both of them from Vietnam. He said, she's a better wife to me than I am husband to her. She's a better parent to our two children than I am to our two children. I need help. And I could have said a thousand things, but I said, you know, I'd like to give you an eight-week plan that will help get your life back on track and will probably result in a rebaptism. Are you interested? And he said, yes. I said, awesome. In my mind, I'm thinking, eight weeks from now is my last Sabbath here before I move to the conference office. So there's time for him to make that decision. On my last Sabbath, I was able to baptize 11 people. Praise the Lord. But I didn't have any fear or worry if they're going to be looked after because all of them had baptism coaches that became new member coaches and they're in groups. See, if it was all about me and then I leave, then it falls apart. That's not how God designed this church. It's a body, not just a big head or some arm or something like that. It's a body. And so he he said, I need help. And I said, great, I'm going to put you on a program for the eight weeks, but I need to find a baptismal coach for you. So I wandered through the church, looking through the windows and the doors to find somebody. And that's when I saw Kareem right here. Kareem had been baptized a year before. And he'd gone the whole year without being a baptism coach. And that's not good. You need to become a baptism coach as soon as possible. So I motioned. I said, Kareem, come here. And he said, and he came out and I said, Kareem, I have somebody that I'd like you to be baptism coach for. Oh, I'd be honored because somebody had been a baptism coach for him. And so I brought this guy who had grown up in a country of a different religion that uses a different set of scriptures, if you know what I'm talking about, who had become a Seventh-day Adventist a year before. And he is now coaching a backslidden guy, the son of an Adventist pastor. Because it's not just about head knowledge, it's about learning to walk with God during those eight weeks. And so we showed them, we gave one lesson, lesson one and two. We went to the lobby where we had all the baptismal study guides. Every church needs to have multiple baptismal study guides in their lobby. I mean, uh, in bulk. You need to have it right there. You can't have it locked in some room and expect people to be giving Bible studies. Okay, So we just have 50 of each of those lessons or 100 of each. So we go to the lobby. There's Kareem, and there's um, On is his name. And I take lesson one and two, and I give it to On, and I say, On, find a time tonight. Say, Lord, show me your truth and help me to walk in it. Begin reading. Do the quizzes. And then I take another lesson one and two, and I say, Kareem, you've been through these, but now you're coaching, so you really need to get it. And so you get together once a week and do the quiz together. Not the whole lesson. Do the quiz together. If there are any questions... Kareem, ask anybody on our church board. Don't say ask me. I want all the leaders in the church to be involved in soul winning. Ask anybody on the church board. And then I take another, a third lesson, one and two, and I give it to On. And I said, On, whenever God is working in one person's heart, he's often opening the hearts of other people. So take extra lessons each week and ask God who it should be. And it might be your wife, but it might be somebody else. But pray and give it. So as he is growing, he is becoming a missionary to others. 
And eight weeks later on my last Sabbath, I had the privilege of baptizing on. And guess who was smiling the biggest? Kareem. And then I baptized with him Han, his wife. Left that family spiritually intact. That's what can happen with baptism coaches because Jesus said, go, and when you find people of peace, remain with them and help them on in to this final movement. Thanks for being with me here. Let's just see what we have. I'm not going to, there's not enough time to go through all of these things, but by God's grace, here's what I want you to do. Last two minutes, turn to somebody near you and tell them one thing you got that you want to act on. Do it right now. All right, let's go ahead and have a final prayer and you can keep visiting through lunch and into the afternoon because we'll be back here. No, let's just have prayer, okay? In fact, I think what would be better actually is go ahead and have prayer with the person you just shared with and then we'll end there. I'll be up here to answer any questions, but let's keep an attitude of prayer and have prayer with each other and hope to see some of you, if not all of you, back this afternoon. I'll answer questions up here. This message was recorded at the GYC to the end in Houston, Texas. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.